0: Amen. Thank you. Wonderful. Turn with me to 1 John, please, chapter 3, verse 19 through 24 is where we'll look today. Beautiful music saying of the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. What if you question your interest in the blood of Jesus? What if you doubt What if you struggle for assurance that you are indeed a child of God? That's what the text before us today addresses, the struggle for assurance. You say, struggle for assurance, isn't that easy? Well, there are many, many people uh, throughout church history, beginning with the original disciples that questioned At one time or another, their genuineness as disciples of Jesus Christ. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, one of you will betray me this night. And all of the disciples answered and said, is it I, Lord? Is it I? Even Judas, he said, is it I, teacher? He didn't call him Lord, he called him teacher. He was the guilty one. But they all, they all, realizing the weakness of their own flesh, questioned whether or not maybe they would do that deed. They were in touch, at least, with their weakness. John the Baptist, John the Baptist, who said, Behold the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world, is imprisoned. And he sends his disciples to Jesus and says, Are you the one, or shall we look for another? Jesus said there's not a man greater than John the Baptist born of woman. Yet we see John the Baptist questioning. And the truth of the matter is, I think, I think this is the plain truth. If you take the word of God seriously, if you take the standards of the word of God seriously, if you take 1 John seriously, and it does not cause you to examine yourself, and you have never been through doubt in, in your Christian life, I question The genuineness of your Christian life. (laughs) I question the seriousness of your self examination. I question your understanding of the standards that are laid out for us in God's Word. John has just said, We know that we pass from death unto life. Because we love the brethren we've been born again we've been raised from spiritual death and the evidence of that resurrection from spiritual death is that we love the brethren and we say oh we all love the brethren he says oh here's how you know what love is he laid down he set aside his life for us talking about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross he said that's how we know and have experienced this agape this love that I'm talking about here. And we say, well, I, I think I would die for my brother and sister. You know, if, if somebody came in here with a machine gun and, and was killing us, I may step out in front and be heroic. And he says, oh, good. But if you see your brother in need and you shut your compassion up from him, how does the love of God dwell in you? See, he brings it right down to ooh, the here and now. And we say, Wow. And we hear that and we think of those times when we just walked away from need. Times when God impressed it. Remember I said we can't meet everybody's need. No one person can meet everybody's need. But there are times when we've seen someone in need. God impressed it upon our heart. And we closed our heart to them and we moved on. We hung on to our stuff. You see? You see his standard here? And so he says... My little children, love not in word or in tongue. Don't talk about how loving you are or tell people. just tell people you love them. Love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In deed and in truth. In other words, act in love. Act in love toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, the question has been asked by more than one person. Why does John focus on brothers and sisters in Christ? Aren't we supposed to love the world? Aren't we also supposed to love lost people? Yes, we're supposed to love even our enemies. Jesus teaches us to love our enemies. But John is talking about our brothers and sisters in Christ because that's an evidence that we've been born again. Those who love him who begot love those who are begotten of him. If you love the one who gives life, you, you love his children. It's kind of like my grandmother and her poodle. She, she says, you love me, love my dog. You want me over at your house, you better let my dog in the house too. (laughs) Because I love my dog. If you love God the Father, you're going to love his children. That's just it. That's why he's using love of the brethren. Another reason is because these false brothers, these false believers who are claiming that they have this special revelation from God, and they bought into false doctrine, and they're trying to drag people out of the church into their heresy, are acting in hateful ways toward Christians. And he's saying, look, people... These people are evidencing that they've not passed from death unto life. They came out from us to show that they were never really a part of us to begin with. These people are devoid of spiritual life. So he's teaching us what it means to have spiritual life. And at the same time, he's teaching us what it looks like when people don't have it. And what it looks like is they're not loving toward believers. And so the standard's pretty high. The, the, the way that we know love is the love of Jesus who gave himself to death, who took our place upon the cross and died for our sins. That's what love is. And he says, and you ought to love one another that way. So, do you see why John has to do a little bit of spiritual first aid when it comes to assurance after saying that? <laughs> And address the struggle of assurance. Listen to what he says. Follow with me reading at verse 19. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Now He who keeps His commandments abides in Him and He in Him, And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you will open your word to our hearts and that you will open our hearts to your word and speak clearly to each person that's here. You know the hearts of all men and all women. You know what each person needs to hear. And God, you're able and willing to speak. And I pray that you will by the power of your Holy Spirit and for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. in his name that I pray. Amen. We see really here the first step of assurance in verse 19. He says, and by this, and when he says by this, he's pointing to what he just said. And what did he just say? He just said, my little children, love not in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Put action to your love. Act in love one toward another. And he says, and by this, we will know... That we are of the truth. Of the truth means that we're children of God. Jesus is the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The gospel is the truth. He's saying you'll know what your origin is, your nature. When you act in love, you'll have evidence. You'll have proof, in, in essence, that your nature has been changed and you've been born again. And so he's saying on the most basic level, and this is what he's really been saying throughout this letter. On the most basic level, the evidence of our nature is seen in our actions. If we're children of God, it's going to show in our character and in our actions. He's already told us in chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, that those who are righteous manifest that they've been born again. Those who obey God. And he's telling us here in chapter 3, those who act in love the kind of love, agape, that he's talking about here, self-giving, selfless, not selfish, selfless love, he says they're evidencing who their father is. Remember, he said if we're selfish and we're unloving and we're hateful, he says we also know who our father is. He says like Cain, whose father was the evil one. He was of the evil one. And so we manifest by our actions our nature. And so he's saying, believer, born-again believer, you have the impulses of love in you. Act on those impulses. Act on the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and you'll have evidence that will show you that you are a child of God. Right? And you read some people and say, no, no, obedience doesn't have anything to do with assurance. Oh, yes, obedience has a lot to do with assurance. Have you ever been disobedient to God in some area of your life and felt what it's like to be disobedient to God and felt that grieved spirit and then you repented and you began to obey God in that area? Maybe some stronghold that he ripped down and you submitted yourself to that process and all of a sudden, do you remember what it felt like to be free in fellowship with God and to sense the love of God? Yeah, obedience has something to do with assurance that we're children of God. But looking at the obedience of our life alone will never keep us in that assurance, will it? Because if you examine yourself, at least this is true of me and I think it's probably true of you. If you examine yourself long enough, you're going to find evidence to the contrary. Amen? Like I mentioned a moment ago, you're going to think of times that you walked away from somebody who was in need. I think of something that happened to me years and years and years ago. Somebody that I saw and intentionally, because it was going to be trouble, I intentionally went on and ignored and pretend like I didn't see them. And that has haunted me for years. And we all have things like that, don't we? If we're honest with ourselves. Remember, he's talking about love here. He's talking about loving our brothers. He's talking about putting others before ourselves. And if you take a good, hard look at yourself, and if your heart is like many of our hearts, you're going to feel that condemnation. Or your heart is going to examine you and say, "Ah, oh, look. Remember, you didn't do this. Or, or, or wait a minute." You, you haven't changed enough. Or you remember how you, you, you know, it'll make you feel things. And it's like giving, it's, it's like presenting evidence against you. And, and it's like your own heart, your own conscience is the prosecuting attorney. And it's like you're, you're the defense attorney. It's like your own heart is turned against you. And it's saying, hey, look at what you did. And you call yourself a child of God. Oh, yeah, you do the right things, but look at how you feel about so-and-so. You don't even want to sit next to him in church, right? Or you can't stand this person over here, and your heart saying, and, you, and and then you read about the love of God, the agape love of God, and your heart says, you're a Christian? Come on! I think our heart gets educated sometimes by the devil, who's the accuser of the brethren <laughs> I've always said, the devil doesn't really need to pick on me. I do a pretty good job myself. He just says, let's just sit back and watch him beat himself up. He's good at it. That's what happens, see. John understands that. I mean, why would, our, why would we have to assure our heart? The word for assure there also means to persuade. Why would we have to persuade our heart that we're of the truth if, if our heart wasn't attacking us? The heart condemns. The heart, uh, let me let me put it this way. The heart of a serious Christian, the heart of a conscientious Christian that wants to be right with God and wants to be a follower of God, that heart will condemn that Christian. But if you can go through life and you really don't care what you do or who likes it, something's wrong. There's no sensitivity there to the Word of God. There's no seriousness about the Word of God. And so obedience is very important if you live in continued disobedience your heart is going to have a lot of material to work with you're quenching the holy spirit you're grieving the holy spirit and believe me you can sense what that's like when you're grieving the holy spirit it's something that's tangible and real there's a deadness there's a lifelessness to your christianity If you're obeying it all, it's simply duty. It's not joy. On the inside, you know you don't feel the things you're saying when you're singing hymns. You don't want to pray. You don't want to be in prayer alone with the Lord. There's no joy in it. There's no freedom in it. There's no faith in it. And so obedience, working out the salvation that God has worked in us, is very, very important. Very important. But it alone, it alone is not enough. Verse 19 says, And by this we shall know we are of the truth. Verse 20, For if our hearts condemn us. Some of your translations say, For whenever our hearts condemn us. I think that's the better translation. Because your heart is likely going to condemn you. For whenever our heart condemns us, or... For heart there you may substitute the word conscience if you want to. Because that applies. It could be. That that seems to be what he's talking about here. That, that use of the word heart. For if our conscience condemns us. Or whenever our conscience is condemning us. The word condemn means to know against. It's witnessing against us. I've described that already. When our conscience is witnessing against. Against us. He says God is greater than our heart. God is greater than our conscience. And knows all things. What's he saying there? There's two schools of thought. <laughs> One of my hate. And here, here it is. If you know bad things about yourself. With your limited finite understanding of things. God knows everything. Mm -hmm. In other words, it it makes it severe. (laughs) The problem with that interpretation is John is trying to strengthen these people's assurance. He's not trying to destroy it. (laughs) That destroys it. If you think you're hard on yourself, wait until a holy God who knows everything about you gets a hold of you. The other one is that, that God is greater than us and knows all things And one of the things God knows is God knows those who are his. That's what Paul says. God knows those who belong to him. He's greater than our condemning heart. In other words, he can overcome our condemning heart. And if we'll let him, he will overcome our condemning heart. If we trust it to him, he will give us assurance. He'll, he will give us what our heart cannot get. You can't think yourself into assurance, but God can give you that assurance that you need because God is greater than your condemning heart. He's more merciful too, isn't he? Did you know that every time God is compared to human beings in a comparison like this, it always talks about the greatness of his mercy compared to humanity. In Hosea, I believe, chapter 11, God is talking about Israel and how disobedient they are, and he, he's calling them Ephraim. He says, oh, Ephraim, he says, uh, you know, how can I make you like Zeboam? That's one of the one of the cities of the plain around Sodom and Gomorrah. In other words... Oh, Ephraim, I ought to destroy you. But he goes, how, how can I destroy you? He said, I can't destroy you. And here's why. He says, I am God and not man, the Holy One of Israel in the midst of you. If I were a man, I'd destroy you. But I'm God, I'm merciful, and I keep my covenant. In other words, God is more gracious than any human being. <laughs> he's, and he's more gracious to us. Oftentimes than we are to ourselves. Amen? He knows all things. He knows that we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? He He knows that our sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. He's pleased with what Jesus did. He knows that. And he's able to give us assurance. An assurance that's not based upon our performance but an assurance that's based on His grace in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, He reminds us of who Jesus is and who we are in Jesus Christ. One of the things I think that adds a lot of strength to that interpretation is Jesus' encounter with Peter after the resurrection. Remember, Peter and the disciples are fishing. Jesus is on the shore. They've been fishing all night. They hadn't caught a thing. Jesus says, cast over on the other side of the boat. And uh, you're using the wrong lures. You need to No, he doesn't. He says, cast your net over on the other side. It's just seeing if you're listening. Many of you are not. (laughs) But (laughs) cast your net over on the other side. and And they catch a bunch of fish. And Peter recognizes who that is and said, hey, that's the Lord. And Peter just jumps out of the boat and starts swimming to him. And leaves the other guys with the fish to get it to shore. And and Jesus cooks breakfast for them and all that. And then Jesus takes Peter aside. Because remember what Peter did? Peter had denied that he even knew Jesus three times. He denied him three times. And went out and wept bitterly. And then Jesus gets Peter. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And Jesus says again to him. You see, one time wasn't enough. He says again to him. Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, tend to my lambs. And then he asked him a third time, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And the Bible says that Peter was cut to his heart, and Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Peter said, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know, we all fail. Every Christian fails. But you know what a real Christian can say before the throne of Almighty God? Yes, Lord, I can think of the times that I've not acted loving. Yes, Lord, I remember that. I mean, you don't have to argue with the devil. Sometimes you just agree with him because he's right sometimes when he's accusing you because you did do it or you didn't do it. But every true believer can say to God, Lord, yes, I've failed you, but you know all things. You know that I love you and guess what he does know it he does know it and he wants you to be confident he wants you to be confident that you know that you're his child he doesn't want you guessing about whether or not you're a child of God I mean how many of you want your kids to guess whether or not you're really their parent I'd say you're sick (laughs) If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask? How much more? How much better does God take care of His children than even the best father or mother take care of their child here on earth? He wants you to know. And He wants you to be dependent upon His Son and upon His grace. Obedience will help. Definitely. Disobedience will hurt your assurance. You need to, if you're being disobedient, you need to repent. You need to act in love toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes. But you need to depend upon His grace, His greatness, His knowledge. And so he says God is greater than our hearts. That's where our confidence is going to come. And then he says, here's what happens if you have that confidence, verse 21. You see, assurance is something that's cultivated. It's cultivated. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. That's boldness. The word means free speech. You're able to say anything. Confidence before God. In other words, you believe you belong before God. You believe you belong there. Have you ever been in somebody's presence and you weren't really sure whether or not you belonged there? Maybe you were in a judge's chambers. Tell us about it after the service. I'd like to know why you were, no. <laughs> and you didn't feel quite right? Maybe at some big shot politician's office or something and you felt like, you know, I kind of feel out of place here. I'm just me, right? How about before a holy God? How about before a holy and a righteous God? He says if we have confidence, if we have that assurance, he said we'll feel like we belong face to face in the presence of a holy God. And guess what? That's what our Heavenly Father wants us to experience. He said you'll have boldness. You'll have confidence. You'll feel like you belong there. Not because... You're so uh, good, and because you're worthy, no, you're not good enough. You belong there for one reason and one reason alone, that's Jesus Christ. That's it. And what happens when we feel like we belong in His presence? He says in verse 22, And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. In other words, we expect our Father to answer our prayers. We expect Him to answer our prayers. And He does. He does answer our prayers. You mean if I want a Cadillac, all I've got to do is ask Him and He'll give me one if I'm right with Him and I have that confidence before God? Well, if He wants you to have one. <laughs> But remember, later on in chapter 5, he says, if we ask anything, and then he puts an addendum to it. If we ask anything, how? According to his will, he hears us. And it sounds a lot like Jesus. Jesus said, if you abide in me, and my word abides in you, you shall ask whatever you will, and it shall be done unto you. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll what? He'll give you the desires of your heart. But you have to delight yourself in the Lord. In other words, he's talking about somebody here who shares the will and the heart of God. A person who's walking with God so that you want the same things God wants. And so what you ask for are the things that He wants to give you. This is somebody who's walking in obedience to the Lord. It's not that obedience earns answered prayer. It's that obedience puts us in the condition whereby God can answer our prayer because it's through prayer and his answer of prayer that he accomplishes his will in the world, by and large. Wesley was bold and said that he didn't believe that God did anything except in answer to prayer. I'm not not in total agreement with that, but I think God does a lot through the prayers of his people, don't you? And those who are confident, they belong in the presence of God because they're assured that they're God's children, that they're right with Him, and they keep His commandments. Look at verse 22. They keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. That tells you that they're, they're at one with God's will so that God answers that prayer that that child asks because they're obedient to God. Their life is pointed to In the direction of obedience to god they're keeping his commandments and they're doing what's pleasing to god there are some people today that say you know what you can't you know you don't have to worry about pleasing god everything is grace and everything is grace but guess what you do need to be concerned about pleasing god (laughs) you can displease god can't you and we do need to be concerned about pleasing him Paul said, whether in the body or out of the body, whether present or absent, I strive to be pleasing to him. And then he said, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul talked about living in a way that pleases God. I think the problem that we have sometimes in our our Christian lives and our Christianity sometimes is we worry more about what we want than what God wants. Some of our problems could be solved if we just asked and answered the question, God, what do you want me to do in this situation or that situation? Not what do I want to do, not what are the negatives of this on this side of the ledger, and what are the positives of this on that side of the ledger. How about, God, what do you want me to do? That makes life a little easier, doesn't it? (laughs) Or less complicated. It's not always easy, but it can make it less complicated. And so he, so this, this child of God that has the assurance that God wants him to have and believes that he or she belongs there in his presence because they are his child lives in a dependence upon God that speaks to the Father and asks the Father to meet his or her needs, prays according to the will of God, and has a dynamic prayer life and sees God answering prayer. Why is it so hard to get people to pray? I wonder Why is it that the the prayer meetings are the least attended meetings of any church? you ever wondered that if he if he's saying that a child of God knows that they belong in the presence of God and lives in a dependence upon the father and and ask God to meet their needs, to meet the needs of the church, to meet the needs of their loved ones, then why is it that it's so hard to get Christians to pray, I wonder? Why is it such a burden? I'm not answering any of that. I'm just asking you. You can go home and let your heart condemn you over that tonight while you're eating your roast. (laughs) (laughs) You could have roast preacher. (laughs) we're not cannibals oh (laughs) it's a metaphor (laughs) let's keep it that way (laughs) and I do thank God we're not cannibals too yeah (laughs) See, if we're not really right with God, if we don't really have that confidence, if we're kind of living halfway in the world and halfway in Christ, we're not going to run into his presence asking him to meet our needs. We're going to try to figure things out on our own. That's kind of the way we're going to live. Until God, our Heavenly Father who loves us and doesn't want us to live like the rest of the world, introduces things in our life that put us on our knees and we have nowhere else to turn but to him. And we hate those things that make us do that. But in the end, they may be the most blessed things that have ever happened to us. Because they put us right with Him. Yeah. So, the result of this assurance, that's what he's talking about here, is this this sense that we belong in the presence of God and we're entitled. Buzzword today. We're entitled To come in before our Father and ask Him to answer our prayers and believe that He will. That's a good sense of entitlement. It comes to us through the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. And He says, oh, you're talking about His commandments? Let me tell you what His commandments are that I'm talking about. Because, you know, we... Baptists and we Christians we can get very legalistic when we hear the word commandment right (laughs) we can strain on gnats and swallow camels better than anybody right we have a list of do's and don'ts he says here's my commandments and this is his commandment he sums it all up in one has two parts that we believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ first of all Believe on the name of his son. That's God's son. That expresses the divinity of Jesus. The name expresses the revelation of who Jesus is in the gospel. The name represents his person, his work, and everything that he is. We believe the word on is not in the Greek. It reads like this in the Greek. Believe or trust the name, the person. Of God's son, his son, Jesus, the man, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. That means we believe, trust in him, everything that he is and everything that he's done for us. In his cross, in his resurrection, as our propitiation, he's told us in chapter 2. Our sin bearer before almighty God. Our advocate according to chapter 2 who stands in the holy of holies in the presence of God and represents us before almighty God. Our 100 complete, uh, 100% complete and total trust is in him. He said that's number one. Remember when Jesus said, don't labor for food which perishes in John chapter 6. He says, don't labor for food that perishes, but labor for that which endures unto everlasting life. And some people said, well, what must we do to work the works of God? And Jesus said, believe on him whom he hath sent. <laughs> That's your work. Obey, believe, excuse me, believe on, believe on me. Believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and what? And love one another as he gave us commandments. Love one another. Oh, that sounds easy. Love one No, agape. Love one another. Now, I want you to notice something about this. There are some people that think, well, that means whoever's loving, whoever we think is loving is saved. Doesn't matter what they believe, right? I was watching a documentary on Benjamin Franklin last night. She's making me smarter. And Benjamin Franklin was a good guy. He had a list of virtues, and he lived by those virtues. But he didn't buy into this Christian God anymore. He was a deist. He believed that God was a creator, but he didn't believe all the other stuff. And he said, that's okay. He said, because, he says, a virtuous heretic will be saved before a wicked Christian. (laughs) A virtuous heretic will be saved before a wicked Christian. Well, I would just been studying this. I said, oh, no, you won't. Because his commandment is to believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another. There is no real love that's acceptable before Almighty God if it's not a love that's born of faith in Jesus Christ. And there's no faith in Jesus Christ that is genuine, that is absent the love for our brethren. Faith without works is dead. So you can know all the creeds, You can argue with people. You can memorize scripture. You can know everything. And if you don't love believers in Jesus Christ selflessly, then you have no evidence that you're genuinely a child of God. So that's the commandment. Believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. He he makes it kind of simple. Everything comes under the commandment to love. Remember, Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. And then what? Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so he said, that's the commandment that I'm talking about. And those people who are keeping those commandments, who are living in faith and love, a love born of faith, he said that person has confidence in God. They're Bold, they're dependent, they're praying, their assurance is growing. Hey, the more God answers your prayers and you see him active in your life, you can't help but be more assured that you belong to him. Amen? Isn't that true? Now, if your conscience is a wretched, mean taskmaster, it'll still mess with you. Amen? Right? We're not all the same. Some people, they're, some people are harder on themselves than, than the devil. He says in verse 24, now he who keeps his commandments abides in him. Remember Jesus saying, if you abide in me, my word abides in you, John 15. Then John in this epistle has talked about abiding, remaining in union with God, remaining, receiving your life from him, depending upon him, not drawing back when the devil tries to tear you away with false doctrine. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. Not only are we abiding in the Lord, but the Lord is in us. Paul said the great mystery, speaking to the Gentiles, he said the great mystery is that Christ is in you, Gentiles, the hope of glory. Christ is in you. And by this we know that he abides in us. Remember, by this talks about what he's just talked about, obeying, living in love, obeying the Lord. That's how we know that we abide in him. And how does that happen? The end of verse 24, by the Holy Spirit, literally out of the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. This faith and this love and this abiding, it's not natural. It's not something you just decide to do one day. It's the evidence of God himself living in you in the person of his Holy Spirit, enabling you to trust and see who Jesus is and to trust in him fully and enabling you to live not for yourself but to live your life for others just as Jesus did. You see what he's doing here? He's piling assurance on top of assurance on top of assurance. Assurance isn't that easy. It's not It's not that easy of a proposition. It's not just going back and, and saying the sinner's prayer over and over again. There are people who have done that a thousand times, right? It's not just getting baptized again a hundred times, is it? No. Assurance is a process, and it's cultivated. It involves obedience. It involves going back to the cross, going back to Jesus, and allowing God, who is greater than our heart... To give us the assurance that only He can give us. In His grace and in His love. It's coming to Him in freedom and depending upon Him and praying to Him and trusting Him. And seeing Him answer our prayers and, and meet our needs. And growing in assurance. And then looking back on our life, abiding in Him. Living in Him and knowing that He must be in us because He's changed our life. And He's changed our focus. And He's given us faith. And he's given us love. It's easy to love people who love us, right? You know that the Holy Spirit's working when he's giving you love for people who don't love you and for people who are unlovely. And when we see that stuff manifested in our life, we can know that we're abiding in him and he's abiding in us. And he wants us to know that more than anything. Father in Jesus name I pray that each person here will grow in assurance. Not not the assurance that we've designed as Baptists or evangelicals or things that we've decided give us assurance, but the assurance that you've given us in your word that we've just studied. Help us to have that assurance. Where there's disobedience, God give us the grace and the resolve to step out and obey you. Where there's a condemning conscience, Lord, help us to cast our lot with You. To cast ourselves upon Your mercy and grace. To see our sufficiency, not in ourselves, but in Your Son, Jesus Christ, and what He's done for us. God, then, to have boldness to come before Your throne, and to seek Your face, and to pray about everything, to acknowledge You in all of our ways, and let You direct our paths, Father to live in your commandment, trusting you, loving others. And then knowing, God, that that's not because we've mustered this up on our own, but knowing that you, the living God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ dwells in us. And he's giving us love and he's giving us faith. And that way we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.